Hey, welcome to the response to reconstruction is what I think I was calling it at the end of the reconstruction series. I sort of kind of gave myself this prompt where I was like, next week I'll be doing this thing. And I was like full confidence in myself that that's what I was going to do within a week. And a week went by and I thought it'll probably okay if I just wait two weeks and then grad school started and everything got crazy and I did not do it. And so now we're like probably three months past when I was supposed to make this podcast episode. Um, but I am joined by Grace, currently Grace White, soon to be Grace Taylor, my fiance. Say hello, Grace. Hi. <laughs> um, anyway, so today we're going to kind of talk about the reconstruction series and kind of reflect on it a little bit, um, how it might have been helpful why reconstructing in our own lives is important and as it is for for anybody who is religious or specifically christian um and then just talk about sort of the implications of of the reconstruction um process and podcast like was it a success is it um does it give good evidence for christianity for something for for somebody who's not looking does it give good evidence for them to pursue it um Anyways, but I wanted to start off when we were talking about doing this podcast, Grace and I, I feel we, I'm talking to the audience and then I'm talking to you. So that'll be kind of back and forth <laughs> for fun. Um, but when we were talking about it, I mentioned the first Peter uh, 3.15, which talks about uh, why it's important to defend your faith. Um, I'm just going to read this small section um, real quick to kind of open us up and and explain from a Christian perspective why this is important. Um, since it's in the middle of a paragraph and I really don't like the bumper sticker theology kind of extracting something without its context, uh, I'm going to read the, the whole paragraph, which is 1 Peter 3, 13 um, through 17. So it goes, Now, who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience, so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. Yeah, I think this verse is really a key for why it's important to be willing to talk about our faith and kind of the whys behind it. Because I know that like from growing up in Christianity, especially if you're born into a Christian family, that's just kind of, you do it because you know it. And so I don't want that to be the case for my own personal faith. I want to know why I believe what I believe and that I have good reason to believe this and follow Jesus and live in this way. Like I want to have solid answers for people who would ask me, why am I a Christian? Right. I think the, I think the misconception is that everybody needs to be an apologist, like someone who's going to get up on stage and debate some, you know, grand atheist in front of millions of people. But like just on a basic level, like it's, it's, it's so much more freeing and helpful when you have, thought through some of these questions or continue to like the very Christian word discern through things like this because like I found it for me and especially for people who I talked to when I wasn't a Christian who were Christians they'd get really frustrated with me because I'd ask them these questions and 
I think when when you haven't thought through specific questions because they just seem self-evident to you, it might seem um, purposeless to look through them. I already take it as the truth, so why would I need to know why it's the truth? I really like how it said it's an answer for the hope that's within you. I think that's an important line because Mm -hmm. if we are Christians, like our life will inevitably look different to people. Yeah. And so I think that's something to remember is like, if we're claiming to live this life, we have hope to share with other people and we have joy and good news that we can give too. And so those answers should be rooted in this hope and joy that we have through our faith. Yeah. It should be like a, like a, kind exciting exclamation and not a stern like finger wagging um rebuke sort of like you are in sin and you must repent and figure your life out and come over to my side with all the people who just nod because we have everything right all the time yeah i mean i think growing up um i was taught to be an evangelist Mm -hmm. and to me that meant telling people how bad and scary hell was going to be so that they could see who Jesus was. Right. And I'm not sure about that strategy anymore. I think there are better ways to give answers for the hope that's in us without just scaring people into believing in Jesus. Right. Right. And that's something we talked about because, um, so I wasn't, you know, really the point where I, I think I could consider myself a Christian when I first met you. And then, in the course of our relationship, I have completely come back to Christ and, you know, I, I feel no hesitation in saying I'm a Christian, 100%. Um, there's nothing disingenuous about that. I'm, I'm a practicing Christian. Um, but for a time, for a long time coming back, I considered myself at times a hopeful universalist and at times I was like, no, 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 I'm not a hopeful universalist. I'm a certain universalist, like 100% everybody goes to heaven. Um, in the end was the idea. Um, and I remember having lots of conversations with other people, but also with you about like, well, if that's the case, if everybody ends up going to heaven, like what's the point of being a Christian? And then that brings out this other question that we don't ask in response to that, which is, well, is the only reason, the only good reason to be a Christian is to avoid hell? Like, what about the relationship? What about what about these things that supposedly enrich your life to have this real tangible connection with Jesus? Um, yeah, I don't know. Speak to that. <laughs> Let me throw that on you. <laughs> Man, that's a lot of pressure. <laughs> yeah, I think... Speak um, to the fires of hell, if you would. Yeah, I think that Christianity for a lot of my life has been a relationship that's been motivated by fear. Like mm-hmm. I remember just... Um, sitting in a lot of church pews just being terrified of hell and that didn't make me love god more it made me um fear him more and it um i don't know i think looking at it from a lens of love like we can trust that god will do the best thing for for people and just like ultimately trusting that he does love each and every person on this planet right like that's a better place to approach the Christian relationship rather than a place of fear where you just petrified of what God will do to you if you don't believe the specific right things. Yeah. Yeah. I think, um, I think it's important to ask these questions. Um, not just because 
a big one, and this is a lot of what we talked about in the final podcast, me and Tim, because um, it was based in you know First John, where we talked about you know there's no place for fear in love. Um, but I think beyond just obviously not wanting to base your relationship on fear, um, it's important to think through these questions. So when when everything comes crashing down, as inevitably in some sense it probably will um for some people way worse than others of course but like when all of the chaos kind of unleashes and you're just flooded in i don't know what's going on we want to know why we're putting our trust in god and like when i was in theater in uh high school i think this has always stuck with me as kind of like a an investigative tip but um my first director, Miss Manius, I remember she would be very um, particular about blocking. Um, so she liked the stage. So blocking's like when you're when you're on stage, like where does who stands where at any different time? Where who's looking where? Where does the scene happen? Um, and so she goes. So for this scene, I, for this part, I want you over here. So I'd want you during this line to go from this place to this other place. And um, I remember this big note that at first it's like I don't. Like, so she'd say, no, no, no. Why are you going over there? And your thought is like, because you told me to go over there. That's what you, you told me. That's what's going to happen for the scene. And she'd say, no, that's not a good reason. That's not a good reason. You need a good reason to go over there. And you're going, well, I don't have a good reason. I actually am going over there because you told me to go over there and I trust you. Um, but we learned over time for this play to really work, for it to look believable and for people to not be sort of yanked out of their suspension of disbelief is we had to find in ourselves the motivation that we would have to get somewhere else. And so it's like, as a Christian, a big question that gets brought up a lot, at least it has for me, is, well, you know, are you just a Christian because that's what you're born in? Are you just a Christian because, um, you know, even after leaving when I'm coming back, well, is that just because that's what you're familiar with? And like your whole family would be a lot happier if you were a Christian. So is it really about the relationship with God or is it just it's easier to do this? Things kind of fall into place better if I do that. But then kind of past that, is that necessarily evidence against Christianity? So like, you know, are you just doing that because things will fall into place? Well, is that maybe not? evidence in its case is that some kind of bad thing that things might go better am i supposed to choose the thing where things will be either neutral or go worse to prove my kind of absolute devotion to something um these are all like the questions that are like constantly swirling in my head as i'm doing any research um because i'm just going back to my my theater blocking anyway um this all came up a lot when I when these podcasts were coming out when I was having different conversations with people some um, some non-believers in my life for some like less practicing Christians who asked me about it and I wrote a um, I wrote a paper about it a short kind of essay I say short but a, a little essay about it where I I tried to devise in my estimation so far why it is important to be a Christian or why I'm a Christian at least. Um, so if it's okay, unless you have anything to add before I no, plug go this for in. It. Okay. Okay. The reasons we believe why follow Jesus. What are the benefits? 
What would drive someone to give their lives to a belief like this? I'll admit it took me longer than I anticipated to come to my current realization. I guess I assumed since my faith seemed self-evident to me, I would be able to easily and simply verbalize why Jesus is at the center of my life. However, I found it wasn't so easy. I found myself speaking in grand metaphors and phrases that seemed too far from typical language to make sense to the person in front of me. I remember my first response when a close friend of mine asked why I'm a Christian again. I said, I believe that the Trinity is quite literally the fundamental building block of all matter in the universe. And that is a lot to unpack, especially for a late night conversation. In some ways, it might have just been a fancier way to say it's a mystery slash that's just faith slash just believe it, dude. Don't think about it. Of course, we talked more about it. He asked me plenty of questions, offered rebuttals, tried to reframe and see if he could somehow get a handle on what I was trying to say. But in the end, it felt like chasing that definition I gave was like chasing phantoms. Ultimately, my answer was unsatisfactory to him. And no wonder. It contains plenty of poetry, but nothing really to hold on to. This flustered me. I wanted to be able to concisely unpack why I believed the way I did. I wanted to be able to spread the good news without feeling like a used car salesman, spitting pretty language to convince someone to buy whatever I want them to, regardless of its true value. Because I believe in the value of Jesus, and I certainly don't believe fear is an effective motivator to lead people to a relationship that I claim is rooted in love. The fire that cleanses. So this is like about (laughs) hell, like what we briefly touched on. Allow me to make a brief pit stop at the fires of hell. This is important to mention because I'm sure some more fundamentally spiritual frameworks would suggest that it doesn't really matter whether or not someone likes to be afraid. To save someone from burning eternally is really the most important thing, fear or no. I lean heavily towards hopeful universalism in Christianity, and I'm well aware of this belief that universalism is heretical, but I've also done my due diligence to research scripture and the church fathers to find evidence that universalism, or at least hopeful universalism, is not unwarranted. To dig further into this argument would warrant another discussion I'll save for another day. Okay, so the next section kind of um, gets a little wordy, and I'll post the whole thing Um on a blog post and send it out, put the link in the description if you want to read the entire thing, but just to kind of briefly go through it. This next section kind of mentions um, where in the Bible it talks about God wanting all people to be saved and how important that is. Uh, But then eventually I move back to why someone should be a Christian. When I started creating a mental list of reasons to believe in Jesus and practice his commandments, I became too practical. I was thinking things like praying daily can help increase mindfulness and life satisfaction and decrease disassociation, or reading the wisdom in the scriptures can increase your own wisdom and help you in your life and relationships, which is true for a lot of people, but I don't think it's a good reason if you want to pursue a relationship in love. All of this philosophy got me thinking about a show I watched a couple years ago called The Good Place, which explores the reasons why someone would or should be a good Uh, be a good person to one another. The problem in this show is similar to the problem with my first list of reasons for religion. They made love an equation, or more accurately, they separated love from the equation entirely. The show focused on morality in a vacuum. The problem with morals in a vacuum is that they are not self-evident. If love wasn't a part of the question, then why would anyone do anything for for another person if it didn't benefit them in some way? Sometimes you can get what is called moral dessert from being kind. This is when you get rewarded by feeling good inside, finding a romantic partner, gaining social points, etc., for doing something moral. But what about when someone needs help and there is nothing to gain from helping them? What if you know it would actually make you feel worse to do the right thing? 
If morals are an equation, then no one would or even could do anything that doesn't benefit them in some way. This leaves us with nothing but a cold, calculated, and transactional world of morals without love. So what changes the game? The answer is love, or more specifically, Jesus. Let me divert to the brilliant metaphor in the esteemed The Santa Claus 3 with Tim Allen for a moment. In this film, the antagonist, Jack Frost, is on a mission to destroy Christmas because he's envious of Santa and he only shows kindness to people in that sort of transactional get people to like or trust him kind of way. That hollow smile we've all seen before. Jack Frost loses in the battle against Santa, ultimately, and his bitterness is wrapped up in his frozen heart. But something strange happens towards the end of the film. Lucy, Santa's niece, out of kindness of her heart, goes to hug Jack Frost. Her hugs have previously been described as magical, and as a result, Jack Frost begins to be physically affected by this hug. Steam rises from his body, and cracks start to form on his frozen skin. Light shines from the inside out, then an explosion of light leads to Jack Frost sporting a whole new look. Some may call this a deus ex machina, since Jack is suddenly kind and no longer wants to destroy anything with no more explanation than a good hug. A little too easy, some might assume, but this is exactly what love does to a person. Look at the disciples who dropped everything to follow Jesus on almost no basis. Love is like a virus that infects en masse and seeks to exist and multiply for its own sake. Jesus challenges us to participate in his irresistible and inescapable love to feel the drug-like feeling of being in love. This is what it is to be filled with the Holy Spirit, to love without reservation, without borders, without hesitation. The question, what's the point, no longer makes sense. When you have even just glimpsed the drunken and brilliant love of Jesus, the answer is simply and obviously because love. To desire this unrestricted love is to desire friendship with God, who is love. When we love like this, the virus of love has us doing things that do not compute in the previously proposed morality love equation. Love drives us to love people who don't deserve it. It drives us to offer the other cheek after being hit on the first. It offers us to spit in the equation of morality and dance nakedly as a lunatic would in the moonlight of beautiful love. For your own enjoyment, and to really drive this point home, I suggest you listen to Mac Powell's song, Love is the Reason. He raises many questions he used to ask his mother and later his brother about things they did that didn't make sense to him, and they always responded with, love is the reason that I go. This is the crux of the issue. To walk in love is to walk with Jesus. I am a Christian because of love. I've just barely tasted the drunkenness of a life with Jesus, and I'm an addict craving war. This whole drawn-out argument is based on a shortage in language-based reasoning and the disconnect when trying to wrap words around the four-dimensional object of love. If I try to describe it like a non-lunatic, I find myself babbling. The best way I can describe it, describe it is simply in poetry. The mystery of Jesus and his love is a lone butterfly in a forest, and my words are without a net. Though I know it is always here, I only catch it in glimpses. It's so mysterious, beautiful, and even mystical. I am compelled to stop and stare and even try to catch it, whether I have a real chance of ever getting to it or not. I fail to see every detail while, while it's in motion, flying between the trees, but sometimes it gets so close I can almost catch it. But alas, when I open my hands, I find I just missed it. Why would someone follow Jesus? For the same reason we follow the butterfly, because love. If you're curious about the faith, I would give you the same advice as if you were sticking your toe into a pool to test it out. I would tell you to really give it a try. 
You were meant to be completely submerged in the insanity of love, to really see Jesus, so try to. To stick your toe in is to never really experience the feeling of Jesus or his love. Just jump in and let go of skepticism. Soften your heart and give yourself to love. I assure you the water is fine. If I'm wrong, I'm wrong, but I'm willing to stake my life on it because of love. I'm really glad you read that. I think (laughs) it really speaks to a lot of the things in your podcast and the different conversations that you guys have had, like with each person on the podcast. Mm -hmm. And I think what it makes me think of is that it's so easy to focus on the practical aspects of Christianity. For me, it's always been the scholarly aspects of Christianity. Yeah. Like researching, making sure that I know what I believe from an apologetic sense. Yeah. Um, and just having the foundation laid in academics mostly. Yeah. Um, and then the practicality is just like part of the equation. Like I know all the facts about Jesus so that I can be a loving person. Right. But like what I've been learning is that it's not about that. It's not about the equation. And it's, I don't know, the love part doesn't always seem to be the most practical thing Yeah. sometimes. And so it's not, it's also not the most academic thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and yeah. so it's kind of beautiful to be engulfed by the mysterious, the mysterious parts of Christianity mm-hmm. because we've kind of lost the enchantment of it when we focus on the academics or the practicality or the equation of morality becomes all a head issue. Right. And so I think making Christianity more of a heart issue becomes like a lot of the answer to why we're Christians. Yeah. I think it was, I want to say it was James Graham, either in the first, like the introduction podcast or in his podcast in episode eight, I think it was, I want to say it was him who said, I don't think you can argue anybody into Christianity. Right. Like if you just argue hard enough and hit the <laughs> points just right and you've got all the correct information, then they're just going to believe you. And to build on that, I think it's like it's like falling in love with somebody. Like you don't you don't come up to somebody that that you love and or not that you love, let's say. You don't come up to somebody that you're attracted to. Um, and to try to start a rela- relationship, you show them this resume. You're like, hey, so here's who I've loved before. Here's how long my relationships have been. So I, I do commit to things. Um, here's a plan of what my life is going to look like, how, what I'd want it to look like. Here's my um, my my resume for jobs. I'm going to make a lot of money so I can support us. Like, here, so do you love me? It's like, no, no, no. Like, I can share a lot of information with you. But if this, what's so special about Christianity specifically is the romance basically it was richard beck in his podcast that was so great when i asked him i asked everybody like what's your relationship with jesus and his first thing was like he said obsession but more i think it would be like a romantic relationship like i think of it in the way that i can't stop thinking about my wife i can't stop thinking about jesus i want to talk about him all the time i think about him when i go to bed at night and when i wake up in the morning because it's like this it's like this you know um just like drunken romance basically and I think with with a lot of other religions, and though there's you know there's freaking millions of religions, so I can't I can't cross out every other one, but I know a lot of the major ones like um, like Buddhism and, and and Hinduism and and even Judaism to an extent. 
a lot of these are, are about like kind of doing the right thing to alleviate suffering in some way. You know, for the Buddhists, we're gonna we're gonna live this correct way so then we can achieve this reward of nirvana, or um, uh, that that we don't have to be kind of reincarnated again in a certain way. But for Christianity, it's a romance. It's no, 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 no. God isn't an idea. It's not a philosophy. Jesus is a person. He's real and he's here right now. And I want to fall in love with him. I want to have this connection with a real person. And like I told you before, like, I think I see a little bit of, of something like that in Islam, especially with like the sort of kind of offshoot branch of, of Islam, which is, um, Sufism, um, with, with people like Rumi, like the poet, I think, you know, he was a Sufi. And so I think, you get a lot of, you know, they refer to Allah as the beloved. And so there's a lot of, like with the 99 names of Allah, you get a lot of um, hints at romance and romantic poetic speaking of of, of this. But I, I just don't think it's anything like, like with Jesus where the, the intention of him coming to humble himself to to die for all of us, to be down with all of us is like, like when I was talking to you earlier about whenever whenever we get in a fight or, or when I get in a fight with anybody, that it's like there's this sort of part of me that's like, ha I'm better. I'm right about something and it feels good. But there's this bigger part of me that just feels like I know I'm I'm going to have to to make things right eventually. And I'm going to have to humble myself and admit that I was wrong about this in some way. And I'm going to have to mean it. That's another big thing. But I'm going to have to humble myself, bring myself down, and have true empathy to be exactly on par with you. And Jesus did that. Like like nothing else has God here with us as a, as a human being, like, like a true human being. Yeah, and I think... Something we were talking about recently is that so many of those other religions are focused on getting a reward someday in the future. But Jesus, when he came down to earth, was like, no, I want you to bring the kingdom here. Like I'm showing you this new way of life, this abundant life, so that yes, there is a future with me, a future communion with me, but you can bring this kingdom down here and show people the fruits of joy and love and hope. Yeah, yeah, like, uh, and I never get this quote right, so maybe you can help me with this, but the C.S. Lewis quote that I always oh, want to yeah. quote, but I actually don't know verbatim. Like playing with mud pies, with mud pies when yeah. there's something so much greater. So when I think of wanting to evangelize other people and bring them into Christianity, um, it's not just, hey, I'm in this group, and I would love for you to be in this group so we can hang out more. And it's not just repent of your sins so I don't have to worry about you burning in hell. It's there's this great adventure and this beautiful, beautiful life that I have just started to get a taste of. And God, I, I so want you to be a part of it. Like, like, you know, like kids playing with mud pies, like you have no idea. Like you, you think you're having fun, but there's something so much bigger going on. And it's, and it's like, I don't know, it just completely... I don't know, warms me and melts me from the inside out. And I so desperately want you to come and enjoy. It's like, it's like wanting to show someone, uh, I don't know, the best movie or the best um, food you've ever tried. But like that times a million, right? It's just like, oh my God, you're missing out so much on this beautiful, beautiful life. Yeah. And I think like, 
it's, it's in community somewhere where where um, the main character Jeff was talking about how he's kind of realizing the way we should be, and he said sort of the the obvious, the stupidly obvious and and simple, right in your face truth is that doing things for just yourself is bad, and doing things for others out of the kindness of your heart is good and what we should do. Because he just like, he realizes like, no, 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 this is like how things become the the best of all possible worlds. If we take care of the orphans and the widows and help each other and are kind and swallow our pride and start giving up on having to be right or having to be the best and just, I don't know, just, just being able to, to give out love without reservation not being so um, scared to give love, I guess. Yeah, and I think evangelism does definitely have its place. But there are times that you can't necessarily just share the gospel with someone. Like where I work right now, you can't. I work with foster kids, and so we can't um, say the gospel outright because they're in a vulnerable position. Sometimes they've been hurt by their parents who abused them using the church as a weapon. Mm -hmm. So we can't always say Jesus's name directly, but what we can do is show them love and how we treat them and show them how Jesus would treat them, not as how their past abusers, people using Jesus's name would treat them. And so I think like sometimes actions do speak louder than words, like even though evangelism does have a place yeah so i kind of wanted to touch on that too yeah i i thought of a this might be a really convoluted and not good metaphor but this is what i thought of when you said that um there was this one comedian because i love stand-up comedy and there was this one comedian that i really liked and he had put up this uh the first special i ever saw i remember i showed to um my cousin andrew and he didn't like it he didn't like the special at all and he this is the first time he'd ever seen this comedian and he just thought this was, you know, crap. It wasn't very good um, stand-up. So anytime I mention, like, hey, there's another special, like, he's like, I don't want to watch that guy. I didn't like that guy. And so he kind of just put the stamp on who this guy was, and he didn't like him. Um, and then eventually um, I watched the next stand-up he did, I remember, because I really liked him. And there were so many funny jokes. And I would, I just, I'm such a quoter. I quote all the time, and I'll quote random stand-up jokes. And I would quote them. And he would think they were hilarious. And he was like, what's what's that from? Who said that? And I would go, oh, that's this comedian. And he'd go, that guy, really? And I'm like, yeah. And after a while, I kept quoting him, and, and he really thought they were funny. And I go, yeah, it's that guy. It's that guy. It's that guy. And eventually, he's like, I need to give this guy another look. And I think, like, I think evangel- evangelization can look like that, right? So if someone plays Mozart badly, we don't blame Mozart. We blame the pianist. We go, that guy's just, you know, he's not there yet. Or he... I don't know, intentionally sabotaged it, whatever it is. But eventually when you start hearing it played correctly, you go, that's beautiful. Who is that? And so I think we try to um, play Mozart correctly, I guess. I guess that's the best way to evangelize and, and quoting scripture and doing this, but like doing it with the intention of love and what's what's helpful and makes sense to us. And eventually people start going, what's that from? Who said that? Where'd you get that? And so then you can name drop Jesus, but not in a way of like, hey, you need to repent. And like, have you asked Jesus or like, because it's <laughs> just something feels... I love about Texas is all those T-shirts that say y'all named Jesus. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> just like the interjection. It's just like kind of so forced 
that it makes it feel like um, just inauthentic. It feels like you've got an agenda from the very beginning of this conversation, and I, I don't know. I don't feel like you really value me. Yeah, because I used to have non-Christian friends growing up that were kind of outside of my normal bubble. And they Wait, would you be knew like, people who weren't Christian? Yeah, so they would be my friends that I would try to evangelize every time I saw them mm-hmm. because I was fearful that if I didn't talk to them about Jesus, then they could die and go to hell. And so the whole relationship was based on getting the message to them. And so, you know, I feel like that could have hindered our friendship rather than just being like loving towards them in a way that would point them to Jesus. And right. yeah, if he they ever ask i would have a reason for the hope that's within me like in that first peter verse yeah yeah a reason for the hope that is in you yeah i think so going back to try to wrap this up to not keep this podcast going on forever to kind of bring it around full circle back to reconstruction why it's important to reconstruct why it's important to ask these questions um partly so you don't feel so scared to talk about religion when somebody goes, that's so silly. Why do you believe that? So you can go, well, well here's a couple of reasons. And, you know, when it says doing it with with gentleness and kindness, like, like, listen, this is a relationship with love, right? Like, I'm not just going to go, you're wrong. And that's why you should be a Christian. It's like, it's like, no, because I have found such a more profound and deeper love in this. It's not absence of absent of reasons. There are reasons that I pursue this faith and that continue to pursue it. But it like like falling in love, it goes beyond reasons. Um, and I that's why I think it's important for everybody to ask these questions. But I uh, I wanted to mention we we talked about whether or not we were going to mention this because we're kind of in the middle of discernment ourselves. Um, I was going to mention it too. That's <laughs> <laughs> the secret <laughs> elephant in the room. Um, go, you go ahead. You mention it. Oh, well, I was just going to say that we have been going to Catholic Mass recently. That's been kind of the yeah. big transition we've been working through. That's our scandal. That's our scandal. Um, <laughs> coming from, you know, very Baptist background for me anyway. But um, something that I love about Catholic Mass is that every Sunday you go and they say, welcome to our celebration. Yeah. Like we're celebrating yeah, that celebration. Christ has risen. And that's the focus every single Sunday. We're celebrating right. this abundant life that's been given to us. And the whole focus is on the celebration of it, the enjoyment of this beautiful life. And that's something I just absolutely love. Yeah, the love, the love yeah. aspect of it. And I, I don't want to get too far into it because this will be a, a whole series of podcasts for another day when we've gotten farther, yeah, much, much farther into have it. have more time. <laughs> right. But a lot of it that's nice. And and I think I this can be spread to the Protestant church as well. It doesn't strictly have to be the Catholic church, but one of the appeals of the Catholic church for us is if you can designate the, the, the main intention across time of this church that wants to course correct and wants to look more like Jesus every time it sort of reforms itself, then you can, you can start to put a little bit of trust in, in the church itself that, that God has, um, you know, sort of worked through and worked through the the people of the church. So, so not everybody has to be a, um, you know, PhD theologian to reconstruct, to understand their faith. Like you don't have to go through article after article after article or book after book to 
to have answers to the questions, to actually think it through. Because um, part of like this whole, you could say Protestant thing or really just modern thing of us turning Christianity into an intellectual exercise, I mean, it has a lot to do with, A, we have the time and the freedom to worry about it. I mean, for hundreds and hundreds of years, you know, people were worried about their next meal, if they were going to be able to eat um, or if they, you know, weren't going to die of what, you know, whatever main sickness ruled the land or if, you know, they're grieving over, you know, most children who are dying in child. Like, like people have gone through some crap and we are in a really nice, cushy little time and space. And so we've got time to sit and to think about, hmm, why do I believe this thing? All my ancestors believed it seemingly from my perspective without question, but now I actually have the time to sit and ask the questions about it. And for some of us, um, we still actually don't have that time and we still are worried about our next meal and we still are are in places where getting educated on these theological topics aren't super possible. So being able to have a church system, a church body to be able to put your faith in, not every, like we're all different pieces of the body of Christ. Not every single one of us has to be the head. Not every single one of us has to understand the the intellectual interworkings of every every article of faith. Um anyway, yeah, that's that's I guess what I would throw up that is throw out that is helpful. <laughs> that's what I would throw up onto this table. <laughs> Please don't. <laughs> that's what I would throw out. Um that's that's been kind of reassuring when when you research a church to find is is this someone who I think is really really led by the Lord and somebody that I can put my something that I can put my trust in. Um, anyway, I mean, there's a million other things obviously I could say about the Catholic Church um, and you as well um, because we've really been looking into it and really discerning it, but we're st- I think we're just too far in the middle of it to to really go off about too much because it, it could become so outdated so quick. I mean, I could say something right now that's like, yeah, I'm sure about this. And two months later, I'll be like, I cannot believe I said that because <laughs> we're just, we're in our own continued reconstruction growth time right now. So yeah. we can, we're continuing there are things to ask that we questions. love about it. Things that we just are very confused. Just about still. really are not sure <laughs> even a little bit on. Um, yeah. I think it's another reconstruction Process. Yeah, there'll be a whole other series yeah. with with all of the all the Catholic people along the way. Um, no, but it's been really meaningful, and I and again, I think it's been a journey of love. It's been a journey of of starting with reason, um, but then starting to let your guard down and 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 soften your heart and fall in love eventually. Yeah. Any anything else you want to add? That's, that's it. That's your that's I'm all done I got. face. Yeah. No, it's not. No, no, I'm done. Like I'm done. But like I've finished. I have I am out I've said of said all the, I need to say. The words. Yeah. I don't know if you could see the this is our contribution to Advent or whatever. I don't even know what Advent is hundred percent. It means the coming of Christ. The coming of Christ. There we go. Yeah, it's in Latin. Yeah. In the Catholic Church they have these um like red candles next to the body of Christ. And so I thought that would be very festive to have with our eggnog a sort too. of Jesus candle. We're yeah, eggnog. So it's more Christmas. <laughs> Not happy holidays, happy Christmas. No, I'm just kidding. Um, anyway, I'm just stalling now. Thanks for watching. Yeah, you got to finish <laughs> us out with like a song or something. I'm good. <laughs>